This one I've entitled, Where Prayer Begins. Uh, and this is a really important presentation. It's not overtly about prayer, but it is an, it's an important component that if we don't have an experience in this, in our spiritual journey, it's going to greatly hinder our prayer life. So before we begin, let's start yet again with another word of prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you again for your goodness in our lives. I thank you, Lord, for giving to us the gift of prayer and that you as this mighty God who controls all of the universe and speaks things into existence wants to hear from us this speck of dust in your vast creation. What an awesome privilege it is for us to be able to come into your presence through prayer. And Father, I pray that now as we look at this subject, that you would speak to our hearts yet again and help us to be more like Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I forgot to put this in in our last study. This is our theme Bible passage for the whole six presentations. Jeremiah 33.3, 3, I quoted it a couple of times yesterday. And what I would like to see happen is I would like to see you have this Bible passage memorized by tomorrow. Somebody say amen. The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So as we hide God's word in our hearts, it helps us uh, remove that sin that we talked about a little while ago out of our lives. Jeremiah 33, 3, Call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. It is a fantastic promise that I've claimed many times in my prayer life. You know, when I, when I have my prayer time in the morning, prayer is as much a part of my devotions as studying the Bible is. And this Bible passage just really blends the two of them together, that as I come to God in prayer, He will show me great things out of His Word. And so I claim this promise in my devotional time, and I ask God in my prayer time, show me great and mighty things which I could never understand if it weren't for you and your word. So I would hope that we can have this passage memorized by tomorrow. You write it out on a little, three, a little card, keep it in your pocket, put it on your phone, whatever it is. Tonight before you go to bed, spend a little bit of time working on retaining this passage and focus on having it word perfect in the King James Version. Okay? And we're going to work on this in our workshop so that we have it retained in our minds. Jeremiah 33.3. So to start with, um, there's a story told about a communist prison in Jaliva, Romania. And this particular communist prison camp was especially harsh on its prisoners. It was in a cold environment. The windows were broken. The wind would blow in. And even the snow would build up inside of the prison. The prisoners became accustomed to the frequent special treatment from the prison guards, known as beatings. It was a difficult place to live as a prisoner. And one day there was a, a pastor, a Christian pastor, who had been in this prison camp for eight years. 
suffering the harsh treatment day after day after day. Some of his joints in his body would never recuperate from the treatment that he had suffered. Parts of his body would never work the way they used to when he first went into the prison camp. And he was always cold. And as he sat in the middle of the prison camp outside, perhaps on a log or a chair or something like that, dismally watching what was going on, frequently there would be new prisoners that would be escorted into the prison. Today was one of those days. And this Christian pastor, as he sat there in this prison camp, looking at these faces, plump from good food, bodies that were not tired and wasted away, he could only think about what was going to happen to them over the next couple of years. Then as he studied and examined each face, somebody came in that he recognized. It was a colleague of his in his time before he went off into prison, a fellow pastor who is now coming into, I've got it over here, but can you hear me all right back there? Oh, I I am recording. Yes, I'm good. Let me just double check. Yeah, okay. All right. Everybody's okay? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) maybe I should use it. All right, let me use the mic just in case. Uh, Let's see, where is it? Hello, hello? Is that better? All right. I hate holding microphones, so that's why I was trying to do it without it. Anyways, so as he's watching these prisoners come in, he sees this familiar face. It's a colleague of his, and, 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 and he's, he's, he's surprised to see him there. And he walks up to his colleague, and, and he gives him a big hug, and he's so happy to see this, this friend of his that he had spent many years ministering with when he was on the outside. They sat down, and, and, and for a little while they got reacquainted and, and caught up with some of the things that were going on on the outside, and And as they sat and talked with one another, this pastor who had been in the prison camp for eight years, he began to think about all the harsh treatment that he had gone through. And he looked at his dear friend and he began to think, he's going to have to go through all of this. He's going to go through the special treatment. He's going to go through the the cold nights. He's going to go through the the lack of nutrition. He's going to have to go through all this. And his heart began to go out to his friend in sorrow that he was going to have to suffer the way he had the past eight years. Well, a lull came in the conversation and kind of stopped for a little bit. And his friend, the friend that had been there for eight years, he asked his new friend, he asked him, are you sad? Are you sad? that you're in this prison camp. And his friend said back to him something that I find to be the most profound thing under the circumstances. He said to him, I know only one sadness, and that is not being fully given to Jesus. Did you say amen to that? I know only one sadness, and that is not being given fully to Jesus. I call this being given fully to Jesus. I call it absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. And the servant of the Lord says this in Evangelism, page 317. Satan, our enemy, does not want anyone to see the what? 
The what? The necessity of an entire surrender to God. When the soul fails to make this surrender, sin is not forsaken. Aha, there's one of our hindrances. So she's saying, if an absolute surrender is not experienced in our life, and this is something that Satan does not want us to see the necessity of, she says that sin is not forsaken as a result of that. Now she goes on. The appetites and the passions are striving for the mastery. Temptations confuse the conscience so that true conversion, what? Doesn't take place. So what does Satan not want you to see the necessity of? An, en- an entire what? Surrender. Where prayer begins is our title. Where prayer begins. Prayer begins with an absolute surrender. And Satan, we are told, does not want us to see the necessity of an absolute surrender. And when we don't experience an absolute surrender, then we begin to harbor sin in our lives. And she tells us that the result is that true conversion does not what? Take place. This is such an important component in our prayer life to experience an absolute surrender. So what does this look like? Well, go with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Kings chapter 20. Actually, just write it down. You can read it up on the screen here. 1 Kings chapter 20, in verses 1 through 4. Now, this is a story in the Old Testament that illustrates the concept of absolute surrender. We're going to make some connections here between this and prayer. But the Bible says this, And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts together, and there were thirty and two kings with him and horses, and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. So Ben-Hadad comes up to Syria, that's uh, uh, in Israel in the north, and he makes war with them, and he fights against them. Now it goes on. And he sent a messenger to Ahab. Remember, we talked about Ahab yesterday. Sent a messenger to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine. Thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest, are what? Mine. So he's saying, listen, I'm going to conquer you. Everything you have is going to be mine. Now listen to what Ahab says in response in verse 4. It says this, And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. Now, this is a political surrender, okay, from one king to another. So we understand there's that element. But in this verse here, in verse 4, we find the heart and soul of conversion. My Lord, O King, I am thine, and? And how much? All that I have. This is what it means to be surrendered. Being given fully to Jesus, as the man in the communist prison camp said, My Lord, O King, I am thine and all that I have belongs to you. So what I want to do is give you a Bible example of what absolute surrender looks like in the Scriptures. We've looked at the political surrender of Ahab to Ben-Hadad. 
But let me look at another example here. And this is in Matthew chapter 26. So go ahead and turn there with me if you would. Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to begin in verse 39. Let me go ahead and put that up on the screen here. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39. What does this absolute surrender look like? All right. So this is in the final time of Jesus in the garden. We're familiar with this uh, portion of Scripture. We've read it many times, so we'll just read through it very quickly here. We're going to focus on this portion of Scripture a little bit more tomorrow in our last session. Verse 39 through 44, the Bible says this. And he went a little further, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but as thou wilt. Pastor Ramden talked about this yesterday. And he, came, and he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and said unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time, and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Verse 44. And he left them and went away again, and prayed the what? Third time saying the what? The same words, the Bible says. So three times Jesus is praying here in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to look at the prayer of Jesus a little bit more tomorrow. But in simplicity, his prayer was, as we studied yesterday in our morning devotion, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Not my will, but thine be done. He was asking for the cup to pass. And if Jesus had stopped his prayer with, let this cup pass from me, you and I would not be here right now. But he continued with the surrender in his prayer, not as I will, but as thy will be done. The great object of prayer is not to change God, but to change the one who is what? That's the great object of prayer. The great object of prayer is not for us to try to manipulate the mind of God and to change him to meet our requirements. You see, that's the way the heathens pray. You look at the story there on Mount Carmel with the showdown between Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. And they're jumping and they're screaming and they're cutting themselves and they're they're howling and they're going on and on and on for hour after hour after hour. And they've got this great sacrifice that they're doing. And they're trying to manipulate their God to do what they want him to do, to bring fire down from heaven. But then you look at the prayer of Jesus and you look at the prayer of Elijah and you look at the other prayers of the Bible, Daniel and Daniel chapter 9 and many other prayers. And you find that the element is not my will, but thine be done. We don't pray like the pagans. We don't pray like the heathens trying to manipulate God to our will. But we pray and ask for God's will to be done for our lives to be molded and fashioned according to the will of God. M.L. Andreessen, one of the great reformers in the 50s, 1950s, um, he made this statement in his his book, Prayer, uh, which is a good book. I recommend it. Uh, He said this, we pray not to get what we want, but to find out what? To find out what? What he wants. We don't pray to get what we want, but we find out, we pray to find out what he wants. We pray not to get him to change his mind, but to have our minds changed. See, this is putting a whole different spin on prayer. 
We don't pray for us, but we pray to find out what God's will is. We don't pray to change the mind of God, but we pray to change our own minds. He goes on. We pray not to have him change his plans for us, but to ask him to help us to, be, to willingly to accept his plans. So we're not praying for God to change and, 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 and meet what we want, but we're praying that God would help us see what he wants for us and that we would follow that. He goes on. We pray not primarily to avoid pain, but for strength to bear it. We pray not to escape work, but for wisdom to know how to do it and to do it well. We pray first and last because we love him who has so loved us. Isn't that powerful? And then he says this, because we treasure his fellowship and that of the saints. We pray because we treasure the fellowship with God each morning in our chamber of prayer together with him. I appreciate that quote by M.L. Andreessen. So absolute surrender in our prayer life is not us whining and begging and crying and trying to get God to do things our way. But absolute surrender in our prayer life is saying, God, not what I want, but you want. Reveal to me what that is that you want and give me the strength to do exactly what you want me to do. Spurgeon said this. uh, He made this statement. He said, if you do not do Christ's will, he will not do your will. Ultimately, we're wanting whatever God's will is for us. That's, we want our will to match God's will in our lives. So here's a question. The question is this. Does God expect an absolute surrender from me? Does God expect an absolute surrender from me? Now, I think this is a pretty re- uh, redundant question to ask. We probably all know the answer. But the answer is here in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. It says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him do what? Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. How often? And what? Follow me. That's absolute surrender. That's how our day needs to begin each morning in our prayer time with God. To take up our cross daily and to deny ourselves and to follow him wherever he asks us to go. Now, Ellen White kind of expands on this a little bit here. In Testimonies to Church, Volume 5, page 94, she says this. It is never difficult to do what we love to do. Is that right? It's never difficult to do what we want to do. The things that we want to do are easy to do. It's never difficult to do the things we want to do. But to take a course decidedly against our inclinations, what does he say that is? What does she call that? Lifting up a what? It is lifting a cross. So what does it mean to pick up our cross and to follow after him? It means to do, to take a course of action, to do something that is decidedly against what we humanly may want to do. And that starts in the morning, each morning as we come into our prayer closet and we spend time with God in prayer. We're asking for strength to pick up the cross, the will of the Father, and to do what we may humanly not want to do throughout that day. To speak to somebody that God may bring across our path. To do something that we may not humanly want to do. To say something that we may not want to say. To go somewhere that we may not humanly want to go. We're asking for God to help us to pick up our cross and have an absolute surrender in that day as we go through it. 
So how can I make this surrender? How does the surrender actually happen? How can I make this type of surrender in my life? Well, John chapter 15 and verse 5, this is another good passage to memorize. The Bible says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same what? Bringeth forth much fruit. And then the Bible says, without me, you can do how much? Can do nothing. Now, I have to be honest, when I first studied out this concept of absolute surrender and started asking these questions in my mind, what does it mean to have an absolute surrender? What does that look like in my life? I had this false notion in my mind that I would make the surrender to God and then God would take it from there and live out his life in me. But the Bible tells me in this passage, it says, without me, you can do, I can do how much? Can I surrender without him? That's not something you can do on your own. I used to think that I made the surrender and then God would take it from there. But John chapter 15 and verse 5 tells me that without him, without being connected to the vine, I can't do anything. And that includes my morning surrender each morning. I need his help to get me to make that surrender to him. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says this, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So once I make that surrender to God and I come to him and I say, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I need you to do it for me. Then the Bible tells me that it's God who works in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's not me that does it. It's God that does it for me. Would you say amen to that? Now, I don't know about you, but that's a very comforting thought to me. Because making an absolute surrender to God in my life is humanly impossible. I can't do it without the help of God. But yet I find that it's an important component according to the spirit of prophecy for me to experience this in order for me to have a full conversion. To have a full conversion or a total conversion experience, absolute surrender is something that needs to happen in my life. I can't do it on my own. But with God, all things are what? All things are possible. Listen to this. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 142. You are not able of yourselves to bring your purposes and desires and inclinations into submission to the will of God. But if you are willing to be made willing, God will what? Accomplish this work. What does it say? For you. Now, if you're taking notes, write down the phrase, willing to be made willing. Willing to be made willing. If I am willing to experience a total surrender in my life, she is telling me here that God will accomplish the work for me. You see, for a long time, we've been trying to do the surrender on our own. We try to bend our minds to, 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 to keep the commandments of God, to witness for Him, to, to, to live a good, upstanding Christian life as it is in the Scriptures. We try to make this surrender ourselves, and we fail miserably in doing it. But if I am willing to make that surrender to God, I can have Him accomplish the work for me. 
And he will do a far better job of allowing you to surrender your life to him than I will ever be able to do. So absolute surrender does not start with me, but it starts with God. Do you say amen? It's God that does the work. He accomplishes the work on our behalf. So question, once I experience that surrender, once God does that work of surrender in my life, and I have that experience in the morning as I wake up and I fall down on my knees, the very first thing that should happen as we wake up in the morning is some word of praise should come out of our lips to God for another day of life. The next thing that happens is we fall to our knees and we ask God to keep us surrendered, to do that work, to accomplish that work of surrendering our will to His will. Not my will, but thine be done. Now, once that happens, once I, 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 I have God surrender my life to Him, how do, I, how do I stay surrendered? How do I maintain that surrender throughout the day? Philippians says this, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath began a good work in you will what? Perform it. Now, let me ask you a question. Who is the he which hath begun a good work in you? Who is that? God, right? Yeah, okay. So God that has begun a good work in you, he said, it says uh, he will perform it unto the what? Day of Jesus Christ. What day is that? It's the second coming of Christ. So this is a Bible promise that we can claim in our morning devotions. This is a Bible promise that as we pray the prayer, I am willing to be made willing, Lord, this morning to be absolutely surrendered to you today, to your will and not my will. We can claim this promise, being confident of this very thing. We can have confidence that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, that God will maintain that surrender for us. Listen, we're taking all the responsibility off of ourselves and we're putting it on God because I can do nothing without God's help. I can't surrender myself and I can't maintain that surrender without his help. So I claim this promise. I'm confident that he will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ from now until the time that Jesus comes. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Say amen. amen. Wonderful promise. Read it in the morning. Underline it in your Bible. It's a fantastic promise for us to claim in our morning devotional time. So, so let me just kind of cut to the chase here and make something very, very simple. Maintaining your surrender is not a difficult thing. It, do, it doesn't have to be complicated. Maintaining that attitude of conversion and surrender to God is as simple as saying yes. Saying what? So I'm actually going to change it. It's saying, yes, Jesus. What is it saying? Yes, Jesus. That's maintaining your surrender. When God comes in the earliness of the morning and he says, wakes you up, he says, my child, it's time to get up. It's time to spend some time together. Oh, and you're so tired, and you just want to stay in bed and get a little extra sleep. Maintaining your surrender to God is saying, yes, Jesus, and then using your physical body and getting out of bed. When, when God brings somebody across your path 
who wants to know a little bit more truths of God's word, and you are, for some reason, fearful of sharing your faith, and God says, listen, speak this word to them, give this track to them, offer Bible studies to do with them, whatever it may be, and we're fearful to do that. Maintaining our surrender is saying, yes, yes Jesus. When our, parents does, when our parents do things that, that get us upset or a friend does something that gets us upset and we're tempted to get mad at them, to gossip about them, to say bad things back to them that they have said to us, maintaining our surrender to Jesus is saying, yes, yes Jesus, and keeping our mouths shut instead of saying things that we're going to regret later. When God comes to us in the evening and says, listen, you've spent enough time on Facebook, You've spent enough time on social media. You've spent enough time in the foolishness of this world. It's time to go to bed so you can get up early in the morning. Maintaining your surrender is saying, yes, yes Jesus, and closing it down. You know, um, I, I've suggested to people before, and I think this is a good idea, to go on a social media fast. Has anybody ever done that before? One person in the back. How many of you are on social media, too? How many of you are on social media? You don't want to raise your hand, do you? I'm just going to assume that most of you are here are, are on it. Try it sometime. Go on a social media fast. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't know them all. Whatever they are. Go on a social media fast and don't have anything to do with it for a week. And you'll be amazed how much time you have to devote to the study of God's word and prayer. I'm not kidding you. And what I've done is, I, in my own personal life, because, you know, I have Facebook, you know, I use it as a ministry thing and all that kind of stuff. But, but it was something that was consuming my life, and I didn't like it. And, and the Lord has actually changed my taste buds, and now it's like, I'm very spasmodic about my Facebook maintenance. I don't care about all the posts. I don't care about all of that stuff. Every now and then I get on there just to see what might be going on and if somebody's contacting me. But it's a good idea to get rid of that stuff that's consuming our mind. In fact, you know, on my smartphone, I don't have any social media. You know, some of you probably have, their first icon on your phone is Facebook. Your next one is Twitter. Your next one is Instagram. And those are the ones that you go to the most. I decided that if God is all important in my life and I want to be surrendered to him every moment of every day, I put the first icon on my phone is my Bible app. The next one is the spirit of prophecy. The next one after, oh, that's my phone or my, my camera. Let me see. What is the next one after that? Next one after that is the SDA, Bible, uh, the SDA hymnal. That's a good one, isn't it? So, you know, I put, I put the, the ones that are the most important, I put them there in the front. And then I've got my Bible memorization app that I use to memorize God's word. And I want my phone to be used as something that doesn't draw me away from God and keep me from not being surrendered to him by getting caught up in the foolishness of this world. But I want my phone to be something that helps me connect with God in the moments that I have to connect with him throughout the day. How many of you think that's a good idea? Amen. Delete Facebook off of your phone. Get rid of Twitter off of your phone. Get rid of that stuff. It's foolishness. It's just taking up your time. At the time that you spend on Facebook, spend it memorizing God's word. Okay? So absolute surrender to God is what? It is saying, yes, Jesus. That's maintaining that surrender throughout the day. We're saying, yes, Jesus, as we go 
throughout our day. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, it says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him do what? Deny himself and take up his what? Cross, that's doing the things that we don't naturally want to do, and do what? Follow him. We already read this passage. We were reading it again. So if any man wants to follow after God, do you want to follow after God? Do you want to be in the kingdom of heaven one day? This is the recipe, denying self. When you want to read, when you want to read uh, Facebook or the news or whatever it is, it's denying that desire. When you're wanting to connect with somebody uh, over some foolish thing, it's deny, denying that desire. When you want to engage in a conversation that's not savory, it's denying that desire. When you want to watch a movie that everybody else is watching, it's denying that desire. When you want to spend time wasting hours playing video games, it's denying that desire. Picking up your cross, doing that which doesn't come to you naturally, and following Jesus. Not my will, but thine be done. We're not accustomed to denying ourselves. We live in a society where we please ourselves. We don't have a, we don't have a concept of what it means to deny self. We don't experience it enough. But let me tell you something, friends. When you look at the concept of denying self, it seems like it won't be fun. It seems like it won't be fulfilling. It seems like it will be a drag and boring to do that. But I want to tell you something. When you are truly surrendered to God and you have effectively denied yourself, picking up, picked up your cross and following after Jesus, you will have a happiness in your life that the Bible tells us the world cannot give. You will have an experience with God in a way that you have never experienced. You will have a depth in your spiritual walk with God that you never fathomed was, 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 was imaginable. You never thought it was possible to have that type of relationship with God. This is such a powerful concept. And this kind of gives our prayers like a turbo boost when we have that absolute surrender to God throughout the day and every morning. It just does something to our prayer life that nothing else can. In the end, everybody on this earth will do one of two things. They will either deny self or they will what? They will either deny self or they will deny Jesus. It's one or the other. You can't have both of them. You can't sit on the fence. It's one or the other. And I'm assuming here that because we're all at AOY, that what we want is to deny self. We don't want to deny Jesus. We want to deny ourselves and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. But you know, there's an interesting Bible character that I want to bring in at this point and just kind of think about a little bit here. His name is Peter. Peter, one of the great disciples of Jesus, did a lot of wonderful things. Peter, unfortunately, gets a lot of bad rap um, by, by preachers. You know, we always talk about how impetuous Peter is and how his mouth is engaged and before his brain was. And, you know, he's always putting his foot in his mouth and wanting to be the best and the greatest and all of these types of things. And that's true. You know, he did have that problem with his character. They all did. We do, too. We're no different than the disciples. But when you look at the Gospels, you actually find in the three years of the ministry of Jesus before he was crucified, Peter did a lot of great things. If you had the resume that Peter had prior to Jesus' crucifixion, you would probably be elected as the GC president in the next session. 
Let me just give you a quick little rundown here. Write these things down in your notes and you can go back and look at this. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, the Bible tells us there that, that, that Peter was a man of obedience. Peter was a man of what? Obedience. obedience. Jesus said, leave your boats, leave your nets, and come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, that would be a difficult thing for us to do in our society. In fact, that's what Pastor Skeet was trying to encourage many of you to do last night when he made the appeal to, to offer one year of your life to God in service to him. Leave your boats, leave your nets, leave your livelihood, leave your education, and come and follow me. Do what I want you to do. Peter did it. He left his livelihood. He left his boat. He left everything that was comfortable to him. He left it, and he followed Jesus. He didn't know where he was going to go. Matthew chapter 14 and verses 28 and 29. We find there that Peter was a man of great faith. Peter was a man of great what? There they are. They're on the, the, the lake in Matthew chapter 14. And then they're in the middle of the storm. And they see this being walking on the water. And they're afraid. And Jesus says, it is I, don't be afraid. And, and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come unto you on the water. And what does Jesus say? Come. And what does Peter do? Lord, nobody has ever walked on water. I can't do that. Is that what Peter does? Lord, you're not allowed to walk on water. When you get into the water, you sink. Peter was a fisherman. He knew that kind of stuff. Jesus said one word. What did he say? Come. And what did Peter do? He had faith in that one word come that it would support him as he walked on the water. He stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water. The first and last man to ever do it. Peter was a man of great faith. Mark chapter 8 and verse 29. We find that Peter believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He believed in Jesus when everybody else at that time didn't. Jesus wasn't the, the, the flavor of the month with most people. They kind of looked down upon him, even though he was doing great miracles. But Peter openly professes his belief in God, and he says, yes, I believe in you, that you are the Son of God. John chapter 6, 66 through 69, Peter says that he believes that Jesus had the words of life, and he didn't leave Jesus when most other people did. Vast groups of people would leave Jesus because it was unpopular to do that. Peter stuck with him. I believe that you have the word of life. I believe that you are the Son of God. I have faith in your word. I will obey your call to come and follow after you. Peter was a great guy. And then Matthew chapter 26 and verse 33 and 35. Peter there in the upper room, he tells his master that he would never, what? He would never deny him. That although all men may deny you, Matthew chapter 26 verses 33 and 35, though all men would deny you, I won't deny you. I will go wherever you want me to go. Yes, even if it's unto death, that's what I will do. I will follow you even to death. But then we find in Matthew chapter 26, go there with me if you would. Matthew chapter 26.
And verse 69 through 75. 69 through 75. Scripture tells us this. Now Peter sat without in the place. And a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But Peter denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the, unto the porch, another maid saw him and said unto him, said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech betray thee. Then began he to curse and swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crowed, thou shalt deny me thrice. And went out, and what does the Bible say he did? He wept bitterly. Peter was a great guy. He did a lot of wonderful things. But then in that hour of crisis, the pressure was too much for him. Peter, the man who believed that Jesus was the Son of God, the man who was obedient to the Master's call, the man of great faith, the man who believed that Jesus had the words of life, the man who said, I will never deny you, at that critical moment in Peter's walk, when it meant the most to Jesus for his disciples to stick close to him, at that critical moment, what did Peter do? He became unsurrendered. He became unsurrendered. I'm trying to tell you something here. What I'm trying to tell you is this. You can live a good Seventh-day Adventist life. You can do a lot of great things for God. You can preach a lot of great messages. And you can go to a lot of wonderful places and work for God. You can have conversions of people that come into the church because of the work that you are doing. You can be praised by the religious leaders in our establishment and put into a high position in the church. Deacons and deaconesses and elders and what have you. Maybe even pastors one day. You can have this experience on the outside and by the view of everybody that you are a committed Christian that is working faithfully to God. But deep down in your heart of hearts, you are unsurrendered. And nobody but you, listening to the voice of God, can tell you that. You see, we try to fool ourselves by thinking if we do lots of good things, then we're a good Christian. And unfortunately, that's kind of what we're being fed in our church today. If you do this, if you do that, if you go here, if you go there, if you go to this training course or that training course, they're all good things, and I'm not knocking those, but that is not evidence of true conversion. 
Evidence of true conversion is picking up our cross daily and following Christ. Doing the things that don't come to us naturally. Saying, not my will, but thine be done in our prayer life. This is true conversion. Absolute surrender. And Peter did not have that experience. And that's why when the crisis in the close came, Peter couldn't stand the pressure and he denied Christ. I have a whole series, maybe I can do it sometime for you, called Crisis at the Close, where I look at what Jesus went through and how he prepared himself for the last 48 hours of his life and what the disciples did and what happened to them through the last 48 hours of Jesus' life. And it's remarkable to see the contrast between the two, how Jesus rose to the the experience, rose to the time. He stood with nobility in his face because he was surrendered to the will of the Father. But the disciples, on the other hand, were bickering amongst themselves as they walked from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They wanted to have that great experience of being on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus in those final few hours as Jesus is going to that time where he's going to tread the wine press of the fierceness of God. They're bickering about who's going to be the greatest. Unsurrendered. It's the great, it's a, it's a great uh, contradiction that you see between the disciples and Jesus. It's amazing. Jesus is our example of what it means to be surrendered. Peter wasn't. And that's why he denied Christ. And listen to me carefully. You can do all of these wonderful things and people will think that you are a committed Christian. But when the crisis at the close of this earth's history comes, you will buckle just like Peter buckled because your faith is not found on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You will buckle just like Peter buckled. You will buckle to the pressures. You will buckle to the, to, to, to the, this, the, the pressure of self-preservation. Political pressures, religious pressures, you will buckle to it. You will not be the modern-day Micaiah. You will not be the modern-day David. You will not be the modern-day Daniel. You will not be that because your faith was not found on not my will, but thine be done. You see, the attitude of surrender looks at things from a heavenly perspective. And the heavenly perspective says, if God wants this to happen, it must be in my best interest, even though I can't see it. If God wants me to go someplace that that is going to be hard and difficult, it must be for my goodwill and the betterment of his kingdom, not my will, but thine be done. If God wants me to go against the wishes of people that I respect in my life because he's impressing in my life to do something, some work for him. Not my will, but thine be done. It's a daily thing where we grow to depend upon God and our will becomes his will. And it's the most peaceful place that you will ever experience in this earth is that frame of mind, not my will, but thine be done. Peter didn't have it. And so he buckled when the crisis came. Ellen White says in early writings, page 169, this is talking about Peter, he had denied his Lord, even with cursing and swearing, but that look of Jesus melted Peter's heart, and what did the Bible, what does she say it did? It saved him. That look of Jesus, as as Peter looked back, The cock crew, 
He looks at Jesus, and the look of Jesus melts his heart and saves him. He wept bitterly and repented of his great sin and was converted. He was what? Converted. You see, remember, our first quote that we read as we started this session, that quote said that if we don't have the experience of total surrender to God, we have not experienced genuine conversion. Was Peter converted before he denied Christ, yes or no? no. So she says he wasn't. Which means Peter was not absolutely surrendered to God. Are you all following me here? So she says this. He wept bitterly and repented of his great sin and was converted and then was prepared to what? Strengthen his brethren. When was Peter prepared to strengthen his brethren? When he experienced what? Conversion, which is absolute surrender. And that happens every morning in your prayer closet with God. Not my will, but thine be done. Oh, that God's people would weep bitterly and repent of their great sin. You know, I don't think Peter's great sin was so much the denial of Christ, although that was part of it. I think Peter's great sin was more the sin of the attitude of unsurrendered. I think that's what Peter, Peter's great sin was. Because if Peter had been fully surrendered and absolutely surrendered to God, would he have denied Jesus, yes or no? Yes or no? No, he wouldn't have. Because he would have been genuinely converted. And he would have followed through with what he said to Jesus, even if they kill me, I will not leave you. I will follow you even if they put me to death. But because he wasn't truly converted, Peter buckled in that time of crisis. After that, he was prepared and strengthened to go and help the brethren out. God blesses when we are surrendered. Again, in the end of this earth's history, we will either deny Christ or we will deny self. It's one or the other. You have to make that choice every morning when you wake up. Are you going to deny self or are you going to not deny Jesus? Remember, choose you this day who you are going to serve. Starts there at the beginning of the morning. As you slip out of your bed, kneel down next to your bed in prayer. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. I give myself in wholehearted surrender to you. God blesses when we are committed to him in absolute surrender. The blessing is apparent as you continue to follow Peter's life go from the Gospels, his lack of conversion, towards the end there, Peter experiences a conversion experience. And then in Acts, we see the result of what happens when we are truly converted to God. And there in the upper room, as, as the disciples and the, uh, the, the, the other Christians came together in the upper room there, in unity, in prayer, Holy Spirit descends upon them like cloven tongues of fire. And they go out and they go forth into the city. And you know the story in Acts chapter 2 where Peter stands up and under the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit, he preaches an eloquent message that is so powerful it convicts the heart of 3,000 people. You know, when you look at it, in the results, when you look at the results, Peter was more effective in one sermon than Jesus was in three years. 
because he was absolutely surrendered to the will of the Father. Now, that doesn't make him better than Jesus in any way, but that just shows the power of absolute surrender. Jesus' three and a half years of earthly ministry was preparing the hearts of those people that Peter was going to preach to on the day of Pentecost. And because Peter was absolutely surrendered to the will of God and to the will of the Holy Spirit, as he stood up that day and he preached with conviction, 3,000 people whose hearts had already been touched by the ministry of Jesus were converted and added to the church that day because of one sermon that was preached. What would happen if all of us that were here this morning had experienced absolute surrender when we woke up this morning? What would happen to our church the Seventh-day Adventist Church, millions of members worldwide, if all of our members woke up every morning and had that attitude of absolute surrender like Peter had, what would happen to this church? What would happen to this world? Friends, I don't know about you, but when I first gave my heart to the Lord, I remember I went on a mission trip over to the Philippines, and that first mission trip changed my life. And as I saw the need in the world, I said, Father, I want to do whatever it takes to hasten your coming. When I saw as many people that were there that had no knowledge of God, and you live in a country where, that case is the, where it's the case as well. In, my, in, in America, everybody knows about God. But here, the people that don't. There are so many people that don't even, haven't even heard the name of Jesus. If God's people were surrendered as Peter was surrendered on that day, what would happen to our church? What would happen to Malaysia? What would happen to the world? Jesus would come a whole lot sooner. That's what would happen. And it's because God's church hasn't been surrendered the way it should be that we're still here. This is true conversion. This is where prayer begins. This is where it all starts. Not my will, but thine be done. And it doesn't just stop in Acts chapter 2. Go to Acts chapter 3. Peter's walking into the temple gate. And there's a man there that's asking for alms. And Peter says that he doesn't have silver and gold, have I not. But what I have I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Tell you what. Giving him his legs back is a lot better than silver and gold, isn't it? And you know the song. He went jumping and leaping and praising God. Wouldn't that have been a sight to see? Total surrender. Medical missionary work. He comes into the temple gates. This man who's totally surrendered to God and he performs a miracle on, the, on behalf of this man and he jumps and he leaps and he praises God and he goes forth to do a work for God that nobody else could do, sharing his testimony of being healed in the name of Jesus Christ. What would our medical missionary work look like if we were absolutely surrendered to God every day? Oh man, it would change. It would radically change. Change. It doesn't just stop in Acts chapter 3, but it goes on to Acts chapter 4. Peter was taken into prison, and there imprisoned in stocks and chains bound to prison walls, God shakes the earth and the shackles fall off of his arms and the, the stocks on his leg uh, fall off. And the prison guard takes out his sword and is ready to thrust it through his chest. Peter says, stop, we're all here. And then he ministers to that man spiritually. And that prison guard gives his life to Jesus. And it goes on and on and on through the book of Acts. A church that is absolutely surrendered to God is in Acts. And they turn the world upside down in, the short, in a very short time. Listen, 
If we as a church would experience this on a daily basis, this world would come to an end in this generation. I firmly believe that. But it's because we're fooling around with the devil. It's because we're playing the harlot on God. We, 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 want to, we want to be married to God, but we still want to keep the devil as our boyfriend or girlfriend. We want to have this, this, this polygamous relationship between us and God and the, and, and the devil. But God wants a monogamous relationship, an, a relationship of total surrender to him, where it's just me and him in that relationship. And I am completely surrendered to his will. He's looking for that. I think if this small group right here would experience that, this country could see a revival like in the time of Jeroboam. God blesses when his children are surrendered. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 141, says this, the field of conflict is the dominion of the... What? Where's the conflict? The heart. When the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter uh, 12 and verse 17 that the dragon is wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, she tells us that the conflict is taking place where? In your head. Every morning when you wake up, the devil wants you to surrender to him. You see, listen, Elder Skeet made a statement last night, and I had to jot it down because I thought it was so profound. And that is, he said that uh, uh, 99% surrender to God is not a total surrender to him, but a total surrender to the devil. In fact, the devil wants you to be 99% surrendered to God because it's the greatest form of deception. You think you're good. You think you're, 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 you're right with the Lord. You think everything is okay, but there's still that 1% that's uncommitted, and you're still connected with the devil in that polygamous relationship. We can't do this on our own. Don't even try because you're going to fail. Let the Lord do that work in your life. Let him show you what it looks like for you to be absolutely surrendered. Listen, God is in the business of saving people, and he's going to do whatever it takes to show you what that absolute surrender looks like. You just have to be willing to be what? Made willing. You have to be willing to be made willing. She says the field of conflict is the dominion of the heart. The battle which every which we have to fight, the greatest battle that was ever fought by man is the surrender of self to the will of God. The yielding of the heart to the sovereignty of love. What's the greatest battle that we have to fight? It's every morning on your knees when you get out of your bed. It's giving your heart completely to the Lord. That's the greatest battle that everyone will fight. That's the war that's taking place in Revelation 12, 17. The war between absolute surrender or partial surrender. Absolute surrender or partial surrender. You don't know what it looks like, but God can show you what it is. And she says this is the greatest battle. It's the surrender of self to the will of God. Not my will, but thine be done. Following Jesus' example, not Peter's example. Looking at the heart, not the actions. Last Day Events, page 191. She says this. God will accept nothing less than unreserved surrender. Half-hearted sinful Christians 
can never enter heaven. Did you hear that? God will accept nothing less than what? Unreserved surrender. This is where prayer begins. Every morning, I am thine and all that I have. Remember that? That's what Ahab said to Jehoshaphat. This should be our prayer each morning. I will oftentimes quote this Bible passage in my prayer time as I'm spending time with the Lord in the morning. My Lord, O King, my Lord, O King, I am thine and all that I have. I don't know what that looks like, Lord, but show me what it looks like. I want to deny myself and pick up my cross and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I don't want to be like Peter. I don't want to be like those disciples. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be ready when the crisis at the close comes. I want to be ready to stand for what's right, though the heavens fall. I want to have myself in line with your spirit's leading in my life today. Don't worry about your whole life. Day by day, surrendered to the will of God. My Lord, O King, I am thine and all that I have. So this is, where, this is where our prayer life begins. It begins by making this absolute surrender to God. It begins by seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Surrender. Where prayer begins. We're going to do this in each one of our sessions as much as we have time. But I want to take a little bit of time here and spend some time in prayer as we did in our last session. And I hope you don't find this prayer time boring. I hope you don't find it as kind of just a, an opportunity to space out. But you're, you're under conviction right now, as I am. I can see it in your face. The Lord has spoken to you. I trust that by faith that he has spoken to you as he has spoken to my heart. And there's no better time to speak to God than at the moment of conviction. And tell him exactly what's going on inside of your head. Don't use flowery terms or, or evasive phrases, but speak to the issue. The Lord is speaking to you right now, and he's telling you about the area of your life where you're not absolutely surrendered to him. He's telling you that you have not experienced it and that he wants you to experience it. He's confirming that you are his child and that he wants you to be uh, in the kingdom of heaven one day and he wants to use you in a powerful way. And so what I want to do is I want to take a couple of moments and I want you to just spend some time with the Lord in prayer and ask God to do this work of absolute surrender in your life. Tell him I am willing to be made willing. We're going to take about five minutes or so and, and, and spend a few moments in prayer. Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. Perform this miracle in my life. Let me take up my cross and follow Jesus' example and not Peter. So if you want to, you can kneel if you're, if you're all right with that. I, I like to kneel personally. Uh, if you want to sit, that's fine. But let's take a couple of minutes and spend some time with the Lord in prayer. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.